ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with TJ Duguay out of Colorado. We get into Arizona coos, Colorado elk, wolf reintroduction, archery equipment and an upcoming hunt he has in south africa enjoy the episode so we're on with tj duguay tj evening man i appreciate you jumping on with me and uh telling us a little bit about your story and uh, your outdoor life man welcome Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So we'll just hop right into it, man, and get the, get the uh, proverbial ball rolling here. Why don't you give us a little bit of intro and background on yourself? All right, man. Well, my name's TJ, obviously. Um, I hail from the Northeast. Um, I currently am residing in northern Colorado with my wife. Um, no kids as of yet. Um, I did not grow up in a, uh, in a hunting family, much like, uh, our good friend and colleague, uh, Kyle Davidson with, uh, DCA custom arrows. Uh, so shout out to Kyle. We, uh, we both don't come from, you know, uh, families that really introduced us to, to hunting or it was kind of a, a self-guided passion. So that's kind of what got me into it. I was into uh, getting into the conservation efforts of things and providing food for the table that I know where it came from. I know what it ate. Uh, and it was, uh, a way for me to help give back and, um, kind of put in some, some community service work. I'm pretty service service oriented from, uh, being in the military. So I like to help give back and, uh, yeah, man, that's kind of, kind of where things are right now. It's a little bit about me. Awesome, man. So, uh appreciate that service man thank you very much um yeah can't say enough about uh, about our vets man so where did the uh where did the hunting did that start in the northeast or is that something that started uh in colorado there no it actually it uh it got its birth with me um in arizona 
um, I was uh, kind of intrigued. Uh, some some military friends of mine uh, were were hunters, and I um, I was proficient with a rifle, um, being military trained and everything. And I'd always shot guns, uh, even as a kid, um, but just had never hunted. And, uh, some friends of mine were, were bow hunters and I was super interested in getting into a bow and kind of hitting the ground running, chasing that infamous coos whitetail there in Arizona, the gray ghost as they call it. And, uh, yeah, man, I was just hooked after the first season I picked up a bow. My first bow was a a little diamond, uh, edge. And, uh, yeah, man, it was just, it was wild. It was something else. There was something, uh, so primitive about picking up a bow and having to sneak in and getting close. It's super, super difficult in the desert there. The terrain is so unforgiving and, uh, you know, it's so hard to, to get it. If, you know, if you're in, you know, dense brush, it's so hard to get a good shooting lane. It was just such a challenge. And, um, it was super rewarding. So yeah, that was, that's where I got my start. There was, uh, the old desert trace chasing the, the great ghost. So how did that, uh, how'd those coups pan out for you, man? <laughs> <laughs> they still have evaded me to this day. My friend, I have more blown stocks on the record than I can shake a stick at. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game with the coups, right? I mean, if you're lucky oh. to be in an area that holds coos and mule deer on one of those tags like that late season archery tag there in arizona um you have the upper hand but when you start looking at some of that uh you know that that rolling desert plain um it's just you know you might have some some scattered you know sage and a cactus here or there but i mean (laughs) no ocotillo and so oh man i tell you what (laughs) i tell you what (laughs) yeah that was i got my start in southern arizona so oh man uh, yeah, so I lived in Tucson, so I was way down south by the border. So I I got my start hunting the dirty south, <laughs> <laughs> wide dirty open, wide wide open, my friend. So I know about the most cover you get is some ocotillo, maybe some you know, uh, you know, some sagebrush or some tall junipers and stuff. Um, but outside of that, it's man, it's just beautiful, wide open country, my friend. So. Yeah. And the, the nice thing was, I mean, the over the counter tags there are, you know, they're, they're buck only, but coos or, or muley there, no draw necessary for the over the counter tag, but it's limited units, but all those Southern units are open. Yeah. And they're so holding. Not, you know, man, I tell you what, there's not a lot of people that believe me when I say that I would consistently see hundred inch class deer. They're like, no way, man. It's Arizona. I'm like, you have no idea. And I started showing them trail camera pictures and, um, you know, footage from, you know, the, the Tacticam or, you know, any of that. And they're like, oh, man. I mean, <laughs> I've, some <laughs> I've, I've, I have a buddy that was there last year and mm-hmm. uh, he had hunted, shoot, he hunted here. I think he hunted my, Montana. And I want to mm. say one other state and Arizona. And when he got back, he said, man, that was the toughest five-day hunt that he had ever <laughs> experienced was that southern de- desert hunting coos, man. It is rugged, my friend. It is super rugged. Hours of just hours of hours of glassing. Just, you know, your eyes just start to hurt and all the, the heat waves piling off of things. You're hot. 
you're <laughs> you're yeah. miserable. Everything's trying to pick you or prick you or stick you. <laughs> it'll test your it'll test your mental fortitude. That's for sure. I think that's why half the guys go right because the success rate on it is pretty low. And I hear the the oh, average but- shot is you know fifty to sixty yards. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking. So I mean, I've had stocks where. You know, I've been out, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 yards and stalked all the way in to within 100 yards. And then they spook because you didn't see some some coos dough off off to the side and they start bleating and, you know, and then it's just game over. They bust the buck out and, and, it's, and it's game over. And it's just, it's gut-wrenching. But, you know, the average shot, out there, you ask any any of the guys, you know, some of my buddies, and that they've that have harvested coos have been seventy three yards, seventy five yards, sixty eight yards. I mean, you know, you're talking monster big time shots, and it's just it's super difficult. There's so much room for error, for a thermal shift or a wind shift. For I mean, it, you have to be on the money. So yeah. That's uh, that's my kind of hunt, man. What about uh, yeah. you? Chase any havies? Oh yeah, we chase the stink pigs down there and whatnot. We got a few stink pigs and some yotes. My wife, uh, you know, she liked to shoot jackrabbits and stuff. <laughs> hey, jackrabbits fun, man. Everybody kind of squawks at it, and they're not bad on the grill. But man, you want to talk about no. you want to talk about a fun day? I mean, it's fun yeah. with a bow, but it's even better with a shotgun, man. I, I just oh, love shotgun yeah, and jackrabbits, man. <laughs> That's just a hell yeah. of a fun day. Yeah, man. It was always fun too, to go out. They have uh, this big thing. It's called the ham hunt and they do it uh, like a thing for youth. And they use bow shotgun um, or handgun and they get all the kids at the youth out and everything. And everybody goes and helps to get all the youth on the, uh, on the old stink pigs out there. And then, you know, uh, a lot of the meat gets donated because there's a lot of people that don't, don't eat them or don't know how to prepare them. The trick is with those stink pigs, you got to soak them in buttermilk, man. It's like uh, what you got to do to, you know, on the East Coast, I compare it to, uh, you know, a lot of guys won't eat bluefish. But if you if you soak the bluefish, it gets all that that nasty, gamey flavor out of it and stuff like that and uh, ends up coming out pretty good. I've had some pretty good javelina chorizo <laughs> yeah i've heard i've heard mixed things as far as the the taste but i mean it goes back to you know don't hit this gland don't hit that gland i believe they have oh, a yeah. tarsal gland and then a gland like on the on their back or something right yeah on the, the the rear quarter and like up in the shoulder there and you hit that game over Done deal. yeah no no amount of buttermilk is gonna, <laughs> gonna help there ain't that. no amount of buttermilk is saving that yeah yeah because i've heard guys say it's the worst the worst meat they've ever had, but I think that that has to be attributed to hitting one of those glands or, yeah, you know, shot placement, yeah. shot placement, shot placement, man. I heard they're fun as heck to hunt, though, man. I, I say I'm going to do it, and I just <laughs> never, you know, it's like a, I don't know, one of those, uh, if I get the opportunity while I'm there type animals, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. That's that's definitely one of those things. It's like uh, definitely an opportunistic thing. I mean, if if you're there, great do it but 
uh, it certainly isn't a life changing hunt, but it is <laughs> fun if you uh, if you get a chance. Man. Right. So. Yeah, I have to check it out in January. We're planning to go, so maybe we'll grab a tag. And and that's the cool that thing is. too about Arizona, right? With that with that OTC mm-hmm. deer tag, you got you know both the coos and mule deer, like you said. But then you can grab that hobby yep. tag and take that out yep. with you. You know, so you got you know the potential to to fill two tags with three animals there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's true, man. I mean, with the uh, you know, it's nice being able to hunt the rut too. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that because you find that the, the coos often rut differently than the mule deer do. It's, um, you know, about anywhere from a two to three week difference. Uh, you'll notice that, you know, sometimes, uh, usually the coos hit depending on how wet the year is, um, beginning of December to, to middle of December. And then the, the muleys are rutting most often last year. I mean, the, the muleys weren't really rutting hard until middle to third week of January, really. Wow. And that's really, I mean, considering what we think about the rut and timing, that's pretty late in the year. It's so late in the year, but it's, it's when, it's when Arizona gets cold. So when that cold snap hits, that's when they, they get that instinct to start rutting and everything. So it's variable. And sometimes if you get like a hot spell and stuff in December and whatnot, they'll break, they'll break out of their rut and stuff. So they'll go back, they'll almost jump right back. And I've seen it middle of December, you know, we get a streak where it's hitting mid to high seventies, low eighties, and they'll break out of all rut activity. It literally just, it, you know, stops it, cuts it off entirely. And they'll go back into bachelor groups and everything. And it just makes it, yeah, it's so much different to hunt. You have to change your tactics entirely on the fly. So, yeah, that's nuts when you consider December being seventy-eight degrees, <laughs> <laughs> seventy-eight degrees, right? And that's and that's a cold patch. Yeah, yeah, man. It's, it's southern Arizona. Arizona for you. Yeah, it's Arizona. Southern Arizona for you, man. Up north, it's a totally it's it's honestly it's it's probably one of the most interesting states to hunt in. I can't say enough about it. Like. Uh, you know, the ecology from the the southern end to, you know, the Flagstaff, the Kaibab region up there. I mean, the Kaibab region produces some of the, the biggest mule deer in the entire country. It's, you know, a world-renowned hunting spot for mule deer, um, you know, hunting out by the rim and stuff in the Grand Canyon. But then, you know, you have the, those rolling hills and everything that still hold monster deer down south and the coos and everything. And it's, you know, the rut hits early you know, to late September up north. And then you're not talking till <laughs> late December, January. January yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's entirely different. It's crazy. You know, you got the, the roaring bulls uh, of September up there with the elk and everything. And, you know, world-class, you know, I've seen, you know, 400 inch class bulls, you know, in the Flagstaff region in the Coconino. Um, Flagstaff you know, is amazing, man. Oh, it's beautiful, man. Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, on a whole, though, I think I think Arizona is kind of overlooked when you start it's talking about, state. you know, trophy hunting. It is overlooked. Oh, it's a sleeper. Oh, it's so overlooked, man. It's such a sleeper state. I mean, you could literally every year see just I mean, especially on a wet year like this year, it's been so wet. I mean, even the southern end in Tucson, they were getting snow this year. It's, I mean, just absolutely the snowpack, even in, I mean, in Colorado has been astronomical, you know, record high levels. And then, you know, Arizona record levels of, you know, just super wet year, the deer growth. I've already seen trail camera pictures from my friends of some of these coups. I'm talking 
big boys already in early velvet right now. Um, the growth is just tremendous. So there's going to be some big deer out there this year. Yeah. And then we got, you know, people will say, oh, you said a hundred inches. That's well, we are talking about a coos deer folks. So just make yeah. sure you make sure you realize what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to see a hundred inch, hundred yeah. inch class coos is yeah. like seeing Bigfoot. Dude. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're talking a small body deer, man, that has, that yeah. has phenomenal potential and probably uh-huh. one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the weariest of the subspecies is coos. Oh, they are spooky. Like no other, my friend. I'm telling you, I've seen I've seen German shepherds bigger than some of these coos deer, man. But I'm telling you, when you see, you know, the average coos that you see anywhere, like you consider a decent big coos deer to be between 65 and 75 inches. Nice little basket, three by three or something like that. Or when you see a big old haggard five by four old mature coos deer walk out you just you get the shakes like no other man you want to talk about getting excited you see a 120 115 class you know coos deer in velvet oh <laughs> you just, you're, you're going nuts. Yeah. oh you go nuts man that is one of my favorite feelings ever even just being on that stock man and getting up close to him and seeing him in those binos and uh it's just it's something else so how did uh how did your 2018 season look? And were you did you get in Arizona time? Or were you in Colorado for all that? I unfortunately was in the process of transitioning to. Um, I was still coming off of, so I haven't. I, I I helped out on some hunts and I was glassing a little bit, but uh, in 2017 I had a lateral reconstructive surgery on my left ankle, so I've been kind of. Uh, in the recovery stages, trying to get back to my, my normal self and everything. Um, so 2018, uh, was spent primarily doing a lot of, uh, scouting for people and helping out with hunts and everything. I did not get a chance to do any of my own hunting in 2018. And then in the process of moving to Colorado. So it was, uh, you know, December, right before the first of the year that we got up here. And so I missed my, uh, December, January opportunity for, for Arizona there. Um, but I did get out in August and I did get out and help out in September on a, on an elk hunt. So it was still, it was, it was good to be out there, you know, for the the end of 2018 after my recovery and kind of getting back, you know, getting on the ruck again and, and whatnot. And, you know, being on the glass again felt good. So, but this year, that has to be rough, man. Your, your tone kind of changed when, when you said I didn't get the hunt. I, yeah, I don't oh, know dude. if I could, uh, that'd be a hard one, man. I mean, I guess life does what it does. Right. But to miss a season, yeah. I feel for you. Oh dude. I mean, to miss, I missed the whole tail end of 2017 season and then all of just about, you know, well, all the early, early, uh, 2018 season there. And then, you know, I was able to at least get, I was just happy to, to be out, out there. I yeah, was man. just, um, you know, and to see, you know, some of my buddies have the success that they did help my buddy get on his first, uh, his first elk and he, he harvested his first bull. So that was super cool to be a part of and everything. So, um, you know, it's, you know, those things are, you know, almost to me just as rewarding as, you know, the hunt myself. I mean, you know, just, uh, being out there for those kinds of experiences and, you know, helping people get into it, you know, much like, you know, I was helped into it. Those are important things to me too. So, but 
2019 is a whole new year, my friend. So <laughs> hoping to get the job done and seal the deal on an elk this year in Colorado. I will be getting an over-the-counter tag as I am now a resident as of this month. So didn't get to put in for the big game draw, but there is over-the-counter elk tags available. So my wife and I will both be scooping up one of those this year. I mean, the plus about Colorado, right, is, I mean, it, it, yeah, there's some some really good units. And, yeah, you can get in on, you know, get in on the draw. But the potential to get into, I don't, I don't want, I hate to say it, right, a trophy class or world class or, you know what I mean? Mm. But, but the potential to get into a nice bull is still very viable on an OTC there. It's not like you're going to have to, you know, oh, look yeah. at a spike 100%. or, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 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 hundred percent. But, you know, the thing is with Colorado and it's been one of the issues that I've noticed, you know, in the, the relocation process is that because Colorado is, um, such a private land state, there's just tremendous amounts of private land and, um, people in this state who don't want hunters here, um, that are very anti-hunting that, you know, buy up, you know, land and then, you know, make it private, no trespassing. Um, you know, it limits public access, um, for, for anybody, not even just hunters, but just for people looking to enjoy the outdoors. Um, but it also limits extreme amounts of, you know, access for, for hunters all over. So you have to, you have to watch what units you're, you're visiting and a lot of the units you're going to have to travel for, and you're going to have to put in the time because especially with, with elk here, I mean, it's, you know, it's almost the exact opposite of how it is in Arizona for me anyways, you know, we're talking being at elevations cause they're up in the Aspens, you know, in September and stuff in the rut. You're talking being at nine to 11,000, you know, feet, you know, compared to sea level <laughs> to 3,000, you know, in, uh, in flag and stuff like that in some areas, you know, maximum of, you know, about five and change. And heck, I think my wife and I here in Loveland, we're at five, nine, you know, just where we live here in, in Northern Colorado. So. Yeah, that uh, that that elevation. I'm I'm there this year. We're there for uh, at least two weeks, and uh, mm-hmm. there's really, I mean, how do you prepare for eleven thousand feet, right? Except spending time there. I mean, that's that's the yeah. biggest concern when we start talking yeah. about you know mapping out our trip and everything. Oh, hundred percent. It's you know you have to you got to take it slow. You gotta you have to literally prepare to spend extra time to go set up a base camp, acclimate. And you have to choose your movements so methodically because you could just gas yourself and get altitude sickness so quick. And it happens so fast. You can be in real trouble real quick. So, you know, that's one of the big things that, you know, they, you know, a lot of the, the out-of-state hunters that come here, there's so many accidents every year of people getting, you know, altitude sickness and stuff because they don't um, give themselves time to acclimate. They just get excited. They're out there and they just want to get out and go. And you have to be, you know, the, in the military, they have a saying slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And I can't say that that is any more true, true. Yeah. When elk than, yeah, especially elk hunting here in Colorado. And that's, you know, so when you hear stuff like that, right. It, it, I don't know if it's not considered, well, I shouldn't say it's not considered enough, but you know, when you start talking about elk, right. And elk shape and, you know, mm-hmm. um, rut, you know, getting ruck ready and all this, um, that's mm-hmm. one of the things. And I, I'm not saying that it's overlooked, but there is a, mm-hmm. uh, a slight lack of focus on 
getting acclimated oh, to elevation. You know what I mean? I, you can go do mm. that for me, right? I'll get, I'll get, you know, five, six, you know, um, rucks in before I go, you mm-hmm. know, and, and elevation here, I can get up to about 11,000, right? But five mm-hmm. or six over three, four, five months is not like going up and spending, you know, that time um, no. up at elevation. So, I mean, it's a little help, nice. but it's not a huge help. You just get, you get tired so quick. You get so gassed so fast, especially, you know, when you're talking, you know, in September, you're going to get snow here. It's going to get cold here. It's starting to get to that time of year. Um, you know, in Colorado and so you have the cold factor and then you have like, you know, you consider if you're going to try and get in on, on a decent bowl here, especially on, on a, on a public land hunt on, you know, that kind of a tag, you're going to have to put in the miles, man. You're, you're talking sometimes, you know, you get guys that get lucky and you know, they're 300 yards from camp and they get in on some elk and everything and they just drag it back to camp, you know? But most of the guys that I know that I, that I talk to, you know, they're like, oh, we were three, four miles in, you know, and chasing them and stuff. And then, you know, next thing we know, by the time we track and get everything done, it's almost dark and we're five miles from camp and we got to get right. we got two guys and we got to get a whole bull elk. <laughs> That, yeah. <laughs> Back five miles <laughs> in the dark at, you know, 9,000, 11,000 feet in elevation. That's, <laughs> I don't care who you are, man. You can be in Cameron Haynes shape and that's a challenge. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. I mean, for me, it, it'd be, you know, we'll pack out what we can tonight and the rest is, uh, yep. getting hope carried you get out to tomorrow. It tomorrow yeah. and everything at a GPS point and hope it's all still there in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, hang them from a tree. Yeah, from a tree, man. Put him in those caribou bags, and yeah, yeah, there he sits. So you uh, brought up your wife a couple times, man, talking about hunting. So is that something that you guys got into together, or she's been a lifelong nope. hunter? Or how's that work? No, actually. So my wife also to um, she was born in California and lived in Arizona the the rest of her life. Um, was not a hunter at all. Uh, shotguns in the military though, as well. But, um, when we met, you know, we got to talk, I talking about bow hunting and everything. And she was, uh, super into it, really wanted to, to get shooting a bow and everything. And I, you know, took her out with me a few times to go scout and everything. She fell in love with it. She got the bug and, you know, she picked up a bow for the first time and shot a bow. Um, and she just was head over heels and has been all about it ever since right by my side, everywhere I go, she wants to go. And, um, you know, so it's been a fun adventure for us to be able to do it, um, as a couple, um, you know, and it was, it was, uh, rewarding for me to, to get her into it. And, you know, knowing that it was something, you know, of her own fruition that she wanted to do and, um, you know, and seeing her become a, a successful, you know, young, young archer, you know, in, in her, you know, youthful in her career, um, as an archer anyways, but she's picked it up super, super fast and become quite, quite a heck of a shot. So. Oh man. So, so who's the better shot? <laughs> you know, some, some days I like to think it's, it's her. It, d- it depends on how much, uh, how much patience she has that day. <laughs> 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 she's a little firecracker. Sometimes she gets all upset if she's not shooting, you know, groups in a, in a dime. Right. Well, that's, <laughs> I, yeah. That, uh, I think that's all of us though, man. You know, you get, you have that, that one off day will spin you out of control. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good deal though, man. To share to be able to share that time and you know those experiences together yeah. like that, and you know in a, yeah, in a young marriage, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's uh it's really it's wonderful, and you know we made a connection uh, at the international sports at Sportsman's Expo, uh, repping for Tacticam this year, um, in Denver in January, and um, I made a connection to go and uh do a film opportunity and talk about uh a trip of a lifetime we're gonna go to south africa together um not this august but the following august um and do a whole film on conservation in the u.s dollars and how they're spent down there and the trickle down effect and the wildlife biology and everything that goes in behind the scenes that not a lot of people see in the the South African circuit. So for my first time to go and for me to be able to share that experience with her and um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be incredible. So I'm super looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So is that, uh, oh, of course it's with, it's with an outfitter there, but is that something that uh, you mm-hmm. guys were planning on prior or that just kind of no, happened no, and kind of mapping not. it out? It was, it was honestly, it was quite, um, spontaneous and um it was just kind of the opportunity you know it just kind of everything stars kind of aligned for us with it um the uh the gentleman his name is Werner, and he owns uh moshweer outfitters in uh the limpopo province down there so shout out to Vern. um he owns 600,000 acres um down there and has two tribal concessions on his land and i got to talking with him um, because my wife actually went over and was chatting with him first. She saw Kudu has always been a dream hunt of mine. And I thought for sure that, well, it would probably take me the next 20 years before I ever had the the time or money to go, um, on a hunt for, for Kudu, let alone even get my spiral slam. But, you know, um, and the, the gentleman Werner, he's like, a family man. He's, um, his daughter was, was born blind and he made the transition from being an attorney down there to, um, opening up all this land for, for hunting and conservation and helping these tribal concessions, creating jobs for them and giving back to the national parks. And, um, you know, he's super involved in, uh, anti-poaching efforts and everything down there. And, um, in recruiting wildlife biologists to study and herd populations and everything. Um, the man is just, uh, an incredible human. And my wife got to talking with him and he, um, he struck a deal with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad deal to strike, man. (laughs) That we couldn't pass up. And I got to talking with him about, you know, not just doing a hunt with him, but coming down and uh, doing a film and talking about all these things and shedding some real positive light on, you know, what he does and um, what's going on down there in South Africa and, and what they're doing to, um, you know, create sustainable harvests and uh, what they're doing to help the uh, the tribal concessions down there, much like, um, you know, we would want to see, you know, where the meat gets donated and, um, job creation and, and everything else. It's just, uh, it's really quite, quite wonderful. So I'm super thrilled to uh, have the opportunity not only to go, but to, to do that kind of a film um, and, you know, really be able to um, hopefully just kind of bring some more positive attitude towards, you know, what's going on. So, and be able to share that experience with my wife. So, right. And, and, and to, you know, I, more people I talked to, I got some buddies that, 
three of them have said, dude, if you, if that has ever been a thought and it really, it wasn't until talking to them, they're like, you gotta go to African hunt, oh, yeah. right? It wasn't something that I was really, you know, wanting to knock right. off the, the bucket list there. <laughs> um, but right. you, you listen to anyone that's gone and done it once. They're like, Oh, I'm going back in two years. You know, matter of fact, yeah. I think, uh, I think Trevor, shoot, Trevor might be over there right now. I think he's yeah. I think he was due to go over there pretty quick, but I think this is his second yeah. or third hunt over there, and they say it's just absolutely yeah. amazing experience. Yeah, in fact, two of the two of the gentlemen that were working the booth with him, um, they're actually they were clients of his before they actually worked for him. They're both uh, retired police. Um, they live in Salt Lake City. Uh, both them and their wives um, were at one point in time clients. And now Werner actually, when he comes back to the States to do the shows um, on the circuit to, you know, get people to come out to hunt and everything on, you know, the safari club circuit and international sportsman's expo and stuff. He, uh, he actually stays with them in Salt Lake city, Utah, man. And they've been, I think each they've been now about four or five times now a piece. Um, and they go back whenever they can, you know, sometimes they've even gone now to just visit and not even hunt. Um, they love it there. Um, like I said, he treats everybody like family. You know, you, once you, you meet him, he brings you down. He's got a beautiful facility down there to stay in. He's got wonderful guides and everything. It's just, uh, if you want the connection, man, I, and you ever, you ever want to go, I, I have the connection now and stuff. So we'll, we'll set it up for you. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things I'm looking at, man, but I would hunt. That's the problem, right? You get, you get on the, this platform um, and you start mm -hmm. talking to folks and it's like, I think I have the next 20 years, man, lock solid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you listen to these stories, man, and it's just like, mm -hmm. damn, that's another yeah. one I got to try, right? I mean, people would just, well, you know, know. You, you can't yeah. help it. I know it's like I I got all, I got all kinds of stuff planned. I you know I'm trying to go to Canada to go get a brown and a and a moose. I'm trying to go to Sitka to go get a black tail. Yeah, it's nuts, man. It's hard I, not I, to though. I know, I know. The crime is a passion, isn't it? I mean, it's just you know once you get the bug, man, it's, it's just you want to travel and see the world and you know do all these wonderful things and. I care about seeing anything i just want to hunt buddy <laughs> that's it i don't i really don't want to go sightseeing you know i just want to go hunt that's it amen to that that is amen my that. that is all my deal right there man so um talk a little bit man about that colorado elk that you're going to be chasing this year have you been you know doing any scouting how's that yeah how's yeah. that hanging and what um uh, so so actually one of the um Another connection that I've made since being in Colorado is actually um, these uh, these two females. Their names are Lisa and Donnell. Um, they are the Hunt Divas. They own a company called Hunt Data, which is the original, like you know what we know as GovX or uh, excuse me, not GovX, um, Onyx uh, Maps. They're like the original behind that. They have everything from you name it, the migration route maps to population densities to, um, I mean, just from every subspecies on down from elk, whitetail, mule deer, everything. Um, they have access to it all and they have a wonderful digital maps as well as, um, paper ones available and everything. And they've been a huge, um, asset 
for me to kind of get to planning and kind of figuring out where we're going to go and how we're going to do it. So I've got a, a pretty good plan of attack getting started here and we're going to start getting out here, um, probably end of July, middle of July here to go start scouting, um, and start kind of planning where we're going to get in, where we're going to set up a base camp and then, um, you know, where we're going to start, you know, based on what we've determined from those maps and everything that they've uh, provided to us. So super awesome. If you haven't checked out hunt data, definitely do. They have maps for all of the United States, much, much like uh, Onyx. But cool thing about them is they do not provide private landowners information. So some people don't think that's a bonus, but I think it's a cool thing because then people who own the private land aren't getting pestered by 25 hunters every single year because their telephone numbers on. <laughs> right. The, on I never mass. considered it like that. So, so but, uh, with that, have they? So you guys have a little, uh, little introduction or uh, reintroduction yeah. there, right? Getting a little. Mm-hmm. Getting a little wolfy, as we said on there. Um, uh, yes, sir. How is that? How is that playing into that? Have they provided any assistance or data in regards to that? How is that looking? So, you know, it's it's funny. You know, I've I've been seeing a lot about it, and you know, if you look on, you know, the wonderful world of social media that we have nowadays, there is people up in arms. No, 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 no. And then there's obviously the other side that is, you know, don't hurt our wolfies and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, um, I, I stand really, uh, kind of in the middle on it. I think that, so, I mean, if you look, there's pros and cons. So there's, there initially in the early nineties when they were, they were reintroduced, they were never, um, Control. There was no, there was no hunting or trapping season. Um, it was just kind of set them free and let them roam. Um, you know, and you can kind of compare uh, between the the release and reintroduction into Yellowstone. So Yellowstone, the ecological effects that it's had on Yellowstone in in some regards has been phenomenal, but in in other regards, I mean, the elk populations are you know, way down. The moose population is, well, almost non-existent now. The bison haven't been affected dramatically, but I mean, on the upside though, too, I mean, the, there's certain trees that have come back, you know, exponentially uh, in regrowth. And, you know, so to hit on that, I mean, you know, they, there's this thing called the uh, trophic atrophy um, that kind of happens um, they say when the, the elk overgraze, like, you know, aspens and stuff and it, um, you know, they over overgraze on all this, you know, native vegetation and stuff. And it, um, is detrimental to the ecology, the natural ecology. Now with the reintroduction of another predator, it makes them change up their habits. They have to, you know, move and migrate, you know, larger distances and change grazing routes and everything. So it, it can be a benefit to the natural ecology and then, you know, uh, kind of killing off some of the, I guess, the degenerates, if you will, the uglies, uh, you know, the sick and, you know, the old and the weak. Um, but at the same time, too, if if it's not managed properly and they don't, they reintroduce them in, you know, a large number and then allow 
for them to just grow and grow and grow, you know, there becomes an overpredation of, you know, the, the mammals that, that we as hunters, you know, uh, you know, love and adore and, you know, and hunt and help provide food in our freezers and everything every year. So, I mean, the same time, I think that it could be bad, you know, because of, you know, the ranchers and everything, the, the public BLM lands that the cattle graze on and stuff, the cattle can be impacted. Um, the elk and the deer populations can be impacted, you know, uh, greatly if they're reintroduced in a small number and they're, they're managed well to keep them at a small number, but keep them, you know, present. I think that it, it could be benef- beneficial for everybody. Um, you know, hunters and, you know, farmers and ranchers included and everything, but Ooh, you know, gonna, like you're going to spark some shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty middle of the road. I mean, right. honestly, if they, if they don't get reintroduced, I mean, it won't hurt my feelings. If they do, I, want to see it mandated and managed very, very well, like to the T they need to be monitored. Um, because it's a dangerous game you play. It's a, it's a roll of the dice. You let it get even a little bit out of control and the negative impacts. I mean, let's face it, Colorado, you know, one of our biggest, um, you know, incomes for, for the state itself is, um, you know, all the tourism that comes from, you know, out of state hunters that comes from, you know, people coming to ski and snowboard and, you know, hunters give more dollars back to conservation efforts and, you know, public land and cleanup and everything than, you know, any other world wildlife foundation, you know, combined. So, you know, if you, if you, if you piss off the hunters, I mean, it's going to be a whole, whole mess that that i don't think that they want to deal with so. <laughs> well i mean the hard I, I guess when you start talking about wolves and reintroduction things like that right and it's not there's no problem with the guy to be middle of the ground but right with a lot of this reintroduction and the way that things are viewed people are in their fields right it's not oh, it, it's not I shouldn't say it's not. A lot of it is not science-based, right? Right. Um, you're going to int- reintroduce a wolf or some other predator, but you're not going to have any management strategy established when you do that. Right. Um, I mean, it, that part of it to me is where I'm not going to say I'm against it, but I'm against it because I think that the whole right. picture needs to be considered prior to this being in our feelings and just doing stuff based on, right. you know, cute little Wolfie. Right. I mean, it, there has to be, there has to be factual evidence. There has to be, you know, you go into it without a plan and without, um, you know, like you said, that, you know, well-managed plan and a plan B and a plan C for when C goes bad, you know, you can't, you can't do it just based on feelings. It's got to be, you know, that you got to have some hard evidence and you got to have a hard strategy that, you know, if they start encroaching on, you know, ranching territory and they start killing off, you know, lots of cattle, then you got to nip it in the butt, well, you know? So, yeah. so that argument would go to a guy that says, I shouldn't have to worry about one cattle. If you're reintroducing this, I should be able to right. take that wolf out. Right. That's their livelihood. I don't know what a head of right. cattle costs, but I'm sure it's not, right. uh, well, it's not cheap after, after all the, 
the issues with all the, the snowpack that we've had right now and everything. I mean, we're seeing cattle costs go up and, and everything else. I mean, you know, that's that, and that's the thing. They they need to, you know, not be all cute little wolfy, but then the other side needs to be not like, well, the wolves are completely useless. You, I mean, you have to stop everybody has to stop being in just the feelings mode and they have to look at it logically and if it's going to be done then everybody needs to come together and have a good plan right but, and figure out yeah ex- there you go have a good plan so you know but so so be in middle of the ground on it how would you there's and it's not just with the wolves right or, or predators but it's there's certain things that we've had an impact on um, because of population growth, because we're pushing those urban areas right. further and further out, right? And we've affected things mm-hmm. for, you know, X amount of years. And and right. I'm not sure, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a biologist. I don't know how long it takes for an ecosystem to kind of change um, and make mm-hmm. those adjustments because of our effect. But what happens, you know, when this effect has kind of come full circle um, because the wolves were, uh, you know, basically they thought they were eradicated in Colorado since like the 1940s. So right. now that it's, you know, all these years later, how much time and effort and energy and money do you put into these reintroductions and hope that this thing comes full circle again to where that ecosystem has a balance? How many right. years do we, you know what I mean? So it's like what the, those plans are. They're almost absurd to a point because you don't know what it's going to take. Right. Right. And and that's the thing. It's, you know, that's kind of, you know, where it falls to me that, you know, the, the realistic nature of it, of it actually happening and becoming a thing is, you know, almost the point where it's, I mean, it's, it's a Hail Mary. Um, Hell if yes. you're going to do, I mean, cause you know, how much, how much time, how many people are you going to have to put in this time, the effort, the dollars spent, and then how many people are you going to have managing it? Or are you just going to be like, okay, cool. Well, we're introducing 95 and we're issuing, you know, 10 tags a year for the first, you know, five years. And then, you know, 35 tags the next, you know, 10 years after that. I mean, and then, you know, we'll change it based on live analysis every single year. We'll issue fucking X amount more or X amount. Less. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's only so much, you know, that you can do. And there's only so many dollars that can be spent and allocated to do that type of thing. So, I mean, I think honestly, realistically, the, uh, I don't, I don't foresee it happening. I, I foresee there being too much pushback because of the, you know, the losses that uh, people took in the, the cattle, you know, year, you know, due to the harsh winter and, uh, prices of hay and everything and it's just going to be too expensive for ranchers and everything to have to cope with having to worry about wolves on top of it so do you know where that population because i know that uh i don't know maybe it was three years ago or maybe four i don't know 15 2015 2016 um i know there was there was some concern that the wolf population was growing in colorado any idea where that is today so apparently in the northwestern uh, Rockies, there is still, there was still some stragglers, um, I guess, that, you know, have started to, to grow and grow. Um, I, I know of some guys that say that they swear that they've seen them out there, um, you know, in, in, a, in a pack, um, you know, and that they're 
there, we don't need any more. There's already some here kind of a deal. Um, but I honestly, I haven't put eyes on them. I, you know, the, there's not, there's not really any hard evidence that I've seen that there is wolves here. I haven't seen any pictures, videos, nothing, but, uh, I do hear the grumblings that, you know, there is already, you know, a population that's here. And I mean, you know, honestly too, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, what are some of these hunters do that are, you know, super anti about it, you know, and they're off in the middle of the woods, you know, 150 miles from, you know, any civilization, there's only so many rangers that, you know, work, you know, in X amount of, you know, blocks of land. I mean, who knows, you know, like I said, so. That, that's an interest, that whole deal. I mean, these reintroductions is pretty, yeah. is pretty interesting it, topic, man. It's a, it's, it's a hot button subject. For oh sure. yeah. I mean, you got, you know, there's States, um, that folks, you know, that are in the field are saying, Hey, yeah, they're here. And then you hear, you know, um, the politics of it saying, no, there's no wolves here. Right. But in every right. state that, you know, it's a possibility you better not take a wolf, you know, what, what a guy's right. out coyote hunting and you're telling him there's not, there's not wolves here and he shoots a wolf. Well, you know, what the heck, right. uh, you know, fishing game or whoever it is. It's uh, yeah, that's a sticky one, man. That's a sticky one. Yeah. Hopefully they put the put the feelings aside and really look at some viable management strategies um, and, and right. evaluate the circumstance of not being able to keep up with the management strategy. I mean, that's another, right. you know, another hot button on that thing. Oh, yeah. No, 100% agree with you there, man. So. So. Uh, tap, man. So we, we have a kind of a common thread there. Um, with Mr. Yeah. Sam over at Titanium Archery Products, so I definitely yes, want to jump on that a little bit, man, and you know, give us your uh, you're one of the uh, team members. Um, give us a little bit about Tap, bud. Well, so funny story. So when I went down in 2017 for my surgery, um, I had just started to. I guess I had had, you know, finally a, a base where I felt comfortable in hunting and in archery. And I felt like my knowledge was growing and I wanted, I was looking to starting to, you know, I guess we, we talk about in the, the archery and, you know, rifle hunting worlds as well, but we talk about staffing for companies. Um, and, you know, the differences between like a brand ambassadorship and, um, you know, being a team member or, you know, being a, a pro staff or a field staffer. I mean, there's, you know, six, half a dozen, you know, ways to, to say it or different levels of, you know, what you do and how you do it. And well, so for us anyways, you know, obviously, you know, we're both brand ambassadors for titanium archery products there for Sam Schaefer. Um, and I think in, I think it was, it was early, early, Late, well, I don't. I can't. I can't quite remember what month it was, but I was sitting on the couch, and um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, I I'd always followed his his stuff on Instagram and uh, loved what he was doing and loved the looks of everything. That was back when the uh, with the uh, the suppressor elite um, was still around, and I I sent him a message. And at the time he was still looking for, for other brand ambassadors and he encouraged me to put in an application and I did. And that was my very first, 
um, company I read for was, was Tad. And, um, you know, I, I love his products. I love who he is as a person. He's a, a phenomenal, I mean, he's, he's brilliant and he's just a phenomenal human. I mean, he's very giving and, um, kind with all he, you know, gives attention to anybody has got question, um, you know, needs anything. He's super personable. So, um, that was, you know, uh, it, it hit, it hit home with me, the, the type of person he was. So, I mean, that was, uh, you know, why I, you know, chose to, you know, give it a, give it my all and make sure, you know, I'm always trying to do my due diligence to, to help him in any way we can. I mean, you know, he's out of Pennsylvania, so it's not like we can just drive down to his house and right. <laughs> help him do some stuff and whatnot, you know, but anything that we can do from afar to, to help him be successful and everything is always a plus, I think so. Yeah. The, one of the, that's one of the things that stood out, you know, when I made that decision was, I mean, quite frankly, it was Sam over the product yeah. initially. Right. I mean, you want right. to talk about a work ethic and then yeah. <laughs> for a guy to, he's not going to put just anything out. Right. I mean, he, no, he's nonstop <laughs> and and so you and i get to see the stuff that he works on for weeks and then says oh yeah no i'm trashing it because i can't i can't i'm like oh damn that was a killjoy sam because <laughs> i was really looking forward to that oh um, right but right. just the level you know? of yeah the level of energy he puts into uh into the products that he finally puts out um right is just it's tremendous. Yeah, it's just phenomenal, man. And uh, yeah. I can't say enough. At least for me personally, I can't say enough about my stab. And then I just recently—I don't know—it's been some months now. Uh, put that TSS on my bow, and uh, right. that thing is right. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there is not a single product that that man puts out that I wouldn't give a hundred percent stand behind. Like. I don't care what bow you put it on, what how you shoot, it is going to make you a better archer, a hundred percent. It is just, it is that good of quality of a product and the amount of time and effort and energy he puts into all that stuff. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I started using the um, the XL booster uh, after being with Tacticam and everything, running the Tacticam on it, and the the difference alone between you know, attaching it to, you know, uh, you know, another stabilizer to putting it on the XL booster and running it that way or off the, the bow itself. I mean, it's night and day difference. Yeah. That, uh, I haven't got there. So I got, I, I got the element X. I, so I run the, mm -hmm. the eight inch element X with the, uh, with the QD. So I'm sitting at right around just below 10 inches, right off the front of my bow with two ounces, um, and to think, and you made a statement, right? And people will go, well, how's a stabilizer do that? Right. It, it, to me, it's, it, it almost adds to the confidence, um, when you're shooting, right. When you talk about, you know, becoming oh. a better archer with it, um, a stabilizer is a big deal, man. And, and as far as a hunter goes, we don't put a lot of, and I think I'm seeing it more, but we don't put a lot of emphasis on what the stabilizer is actually doing right and that's right. you can see that in most of the stabilizer offerings um mm -hmm. you know funky little shapes with you know some composite material a piece of rubber here and there it's really not doing what it's supposed to do and then you look at right. what sam's done um 
so he's like combining that you know the function plus what we need as hunters i it just yeah i can't say enough man i yeah i, I want to yeah, i've been wanting to run that hybrid um i want to oh, try yeah, out that 10 inch hybrid but i can't i don't want to pull my element x it's, it's like it's not broke don't fix it type deal you know <laughs> but i'm well, super curious yeah i know i mean so and so am i i haven't gotten around to it yet because i run a, a 12 inch with six ounces of weight element x when i'm just shooting regularly and then uh depending on if i'm filming or not or how i'm filming i should say situationally based um i'll run the the xl booster the the gen 2 with uh with the tacticam but it's an entirely different feel uh for me when i go from that from the booster to running you know my 12 inch with uh six ounces on the front you know that's a lot of weight dude i i trip <laughs> so, so for me like i was i was trying to run uh, i was trying to run the three ounces and mm-hmm. on my synergy the three lent itself to it a little bit better and then i i recently mm-hmm. started shooting a ct5 and that bow mm-hmm. is so superbly balanced that i actually pulled out an ounce um off of that right. but and, and maybe it's just you know i don't it, all of us are different right i don't run a rear stab right. or anything like that so having right. you know having that extra weight on the front something else to me it's you know what and i found so um i used to being in arizona i actually i did some work for a brief stand as i was getting out of the military for uh for pse archery um over there i was working as a bow tech in their pro shop and um so i was shooting pse and then when i moved uh, up north, my whole rig got stolen. Um, yeah. So my whole entire set of everything was gone. Um, so it was like a super bummer. And so when we moved up here, um, there's like no PSE dealers around and PSE was really all I knew because, you know, that was where I got my start and archery was hunting. And that was what I shot was PSE. Um, and we we ended up going to the place and we went with a Hoyt on both. My wife got a new Hoyt Power Max and I went with the new 2019 Helix. And the bow is it's so different from what I was used to with the PSE. The PSE was very almost front heavy, so it would roll forward in your hand kind of naturally after the shot break. Um, so I didn't have to run a lot of weight. I could run, you know, much like you do with the, the one ounce, it was, you know, balanced enough. And just with that one ounce of weight, it would roll forward on the follow through on my shot after the break. And it was nice. But with this Hoyt, it's like, the thing is a beast. It's so heavy. that I got to add so much more weight to the front of the stab to get it to do, I guess, what I'm comfortable with on that shot. So I'm like, boy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, and and all of us are different, right? You see guys that are running yeah. nothing up front. Oh yeah, and running little four inch stabilizers and stuff like that. And everything don't want anything bigger than that. They, you know, swear it doesn't do anything for them. Well, that that's what I was going to say, and that's kind of what I was referring to earlier. I don't think, and I've been shooting quite a while, and I don't think you really realize it until you say, "Hey, I'm going to check this out. Let me see what this is doing." But the way that right. that stuff is marketed to us, it's like you know. Uh, yeah, that's as, as hunters for the most part, I, and I could, you know, mm-hmm. this is my opinion of it, right? I'll qualify it. Um, right. we're looking at something called a stabilizer and we're hoping that it's going to dampen harmonics and sound and things of that nature. And we're not even looking at it for its function most times. Right. Right. And and that's the thing. It's, it's like, um, I call it flash, you know, it's like, uh, 
you know, in the tattoo parlor, you know, do you go for the custom more expensive, you know, guy that, you know, you got to sit down and, you know, put in some work and thought about it, or do you just pick out the the shiny thing on the wall that looks kind of cool and you think it'll be all right? <laughs> I guess that depends on how many drinks you've had. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're so right. You know what I mean? There's, there's some people with full regret on that one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, that whole deal, man, with Sam is just, it's easy to get behind something that one works for you, but that somebody oh, is yeah. so beyond passionate about, you know, making sure that he's shooting it time and time and time again before he even says, okay, look at this thing. Right. I mean, he's down in the trenches like nobody I've ever seen. Yeah, it's nuts. Well, you, know. <laughs> well, you say that right now. In, earlier you mentioned, you know, our buddy Kyle there with DCA. <laughs> right? <laughs> that man is a mad scientist, too. I need to see him and, him and Sam get together and be just like pick each other's brains for a day, man. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be something? Oh, goodness. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny that you say that. So between Kyle and Sam, they both shoot the same broadheads. They both have the same view of those broadheads and have spent time with the gentleman that manufactures those broadheads. They have the same opinion. So I look at that and I go, wow. You know what I mean? And you look at those guys that are, you know, you got, like you said, both mad scientists, right? Kyle is just geeking out on the arrows and the arrow builds and the whys and Sam's doing the same thing. So it's like, man, this yep. is a, uh, you start putting all that stuff together and it's like, okay, these are decisions I need to be making and, and, yeah, you know, iron will for life, man. Yeah, it's, it's something <laughs> else, man. I mean, you, you, you know what I mean? You consider all that and you'd almost be yep. a fool not to at least evaluate it. Um, yep. and, and wonder why they're saying that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I got talking with, uh, Bill when his, uh, he was almost, he was one of the, it was either the second or third connection I made in the, the hunting community up here. Um, you know, we got to talking on Instagram. I was looking for a broadhead that I was going to be confident to bring to South Africa with. And, um, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you a coupon, you know, to check out my broadheads and everything and, you know, see what you think. And man, dude, I, the first time I shot one of those things, I was like, what a difference. What a just, I mean, you talk about the, you know, Kyle being a mad scientist and Sam being a mad scientist and the, the amount of, you know, time and effort of shooting and the, the mental work that they, that they put into it. I mean, same thing with those iron wheels, man. I mean, you know, quality over quantity. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal products. That's a trip, man. You start tying all this stuff together. Yeah. And I don't even think, well, maybe they do realize it. I don't know if they realize it. Um, what they're doing with their thought process and their innovation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do you think those guys actually get it? <laughs> uh, man, dude, sometimes I, I honestly, I, I think, you know, Sam doesn't even realize, especially Sam, just cause we're so close with Sam, how much of an impact he's had on the industry. I mean, and he's just barely begun to scratch the surface of, you know, his potential and, and, you know, where he's going and, and stuff. And I mean, as soon as more people start, you know, shooting his products and everything, I mean, things are just going to explode. And I mean, it's just going to be a game changer to the point where, you know, it's going to, I feel like it's going to be one of those things that it's going to change the industry. So, 
Well, you get. I, mean, I, I, I think we're seeing it more and more, right? As as mm-hmm. technology advances, et cetera, um, and people people take it more serious, I guess. You know what I mean? They're they're more yeah. vested, more involved in what they're putting in their hand. Um, I think yeah. that it's it's become a bit more accessible, um, yeah. you know, and people are becoming more discerning about what they are putting on their bow, not just the bow, right? Because I know the years where it was like, okay, I could buy oh, yeah. this bow, but I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to put, you know, uh, a whisker biscuit on because I, after I purchased this bow, I can't afford to buy you know, a drop right. away or things like that. Now I think that um, as the prices have come down for whatever reason to a point that people are being more discerning um, and they're able to go look and chase this, I don't right. want to call it better quality. I'm not trying to down anything that that I have not used or anything like that. But, oh yeah, no, 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 100%. You know, but, but the upper echelon, as far as I'm concerned in performance. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, they 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 have the 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 resources now to get out there and you know there's all these different forums you got archery talk and then you know obviously all your social media and all these groups on facebook and instagram and they reach out and you know hey what works for you what are you know we we hunt same things similar styles similar areas shoot similar bows and they get picking each other's brains and you know next thing you know i mean it's just this viral effect of you know, people doing, you know, so much more research and being more methodical, like you said, to reach that next level of the next echelon of performance. Yeah. You're, you're opening up a can of freaking worms with me with that. So, <laughs> so I've, I've had this conversation a couple of times, right. And, and social media mm-hmm. is great. I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy being able to connect with people like you with, you know, Joe mm-hmm. blow the hunter from wherever. But when right. you start talking about, the information that's available to us, right? At any given point. Um, And I qualify the piss out of it when I say things, right? I say it's my opinion or how I feel about it the best for me. There's a lot of freaking opinions and there's a lot of good information, but maybe delivered at the wrong point or to the wrong question. Yeah, or just just delivered in uh, an unapproachable way. It, it is uh it can get pretty bad man because i see some stuff and mm-hmm. i'm not a i'm not a know it you know know everything guy and i'm always willing to try right. something new yeah. but you read some of the stuff and it's just like damn you're giving advice <laughs> so you, <laughs> you can get so lost in oh yeah the jumbled mess of everybody type and how do you I, me, I'll read it, and it's like, man, I can't figure shit out from any of this because it is just so. Right. You know what I mean? It's everything. Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. You, got these, you know, uh, I I find too. I mean, you got some of these, uh, you know, old timers or whatever that are shooting these old Brownings still with aluminum shaft Eastons. <laughs> I've shot a six hundred grain arrow for all my life, right. and I ain't never had an issue. You know, <laughs> and getting <laughs> and it done. Like, yeah, you know, and and that's fine. You know, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's people, that, but it, you know, it's these opinions. It's like, okay, well, that's your opinion. That's right. what you've experienced success with. Mm-hmm. Let other people have the the experience to go out and 
try new things and, you know, test out all these new Swifty brands and products and see what works best for them. Cause at the end of the day too, what maybe works for you or for I, like, you know, I shoot a hand ski drop away. You know, there's other guys that swear up and down with about QAD and, you know, or, um, vapor trail. I mean, it's what, what works for you at the end of what, what makes you tick? What makes you feel more confident as an archer? What makes, you know, uh, what makes you be able to put that at, that stick in the X mm-hmm. and whatever it is. Awesome. I, you know, it could be, you know, a, a knockoff brand that nobody knows about. And if it works, it works. And that, you, but, you bring up, there goes another one, right? Who, if you're getting out and you're enjoying yourself, right? Right. If it's a knockoff brand and that's, what's getting you out there and that's what you have own that shit. You know what I mean? Love it. Yeah. Go, you know, go get the job done. It, it, right. You know, at the end of the day, really, that's what's important. Oh, 100%. At the end of the day, all we want as as sportsmen and women is to have the opportunity to get out there and try and get it done. You know? And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you got a $5,000 setup or a $450 setup. If you can go out there still and and be in the elements and put in the work and you get it done, that's all that matters. That's it. Yeah. You can go spend, you know, uh, you find a five thousand dollar setup, dude. I'm I'm talking to that dude. Um <laughs> <laughs> Cause it gets spendy. I ain't never had a five thousand dollar bow setup. Jeez Louise. Um I say, well, my mine was not five, but you know, brand new 2019 Hoyt. Look at this. Yeah, it uh, gets up there. $1,300 price tag, a $500 site, couple hundred dollars stab, couple hundred dollar hand ski, another few hundred dollars in arrows and broadheads. I mean, we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it doesn't, at the end of the day, going back to the 5000 to four fifty, right? If you're not yep. spending time behind the string, it's Don't all matter. for not anyway. Amen to that. Right. You got to put your shots in. It's It's like, yeah, I compare it to it's like, you know, those kids, they get out there and they grind every day shooting a basketball or throwing a football or throwing a baseball and shoot a thousand shots a day. And then they go on, they play in the NBA and the other guy who, you know, didn't go to the gym and only shot at game time, didn't practice or anything like that and didn't get the job done and get, didn't go on to the NBA. He's like, well, why didn't I make it? Right. <laughs> you didn't put in the work yeah well that's and that's for damn sure right because in in hunting there is no participation trophy nope there is no no second place you ain't first you're last yeah i mean there is no there is no participation trophy for sitting on the bench that uh nope string time man Yep. All about that dedication out there and hone your craft, whether it's out there just throwing your ruck on and, you know, getting a 15, 20 minute, you know, little ruck run in or, you know, putting in, you know, an hour behind the string and, you know, making sure you're tuned and dialed and, you know, made all the adjustments that you need to adjust at and, you know, shooting from the kneeling position, the sitting position, the standing position. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you know, I've been in a, a position where, you know, I've been on a stock and if I stand up, I'm going to blow up this deer and he's going to, he's just going to, he's going to beat feet. He's going to be gone. But 
I've had to sit and wait for 35, 40 minutes sitting on my knees waiting for to get a shot window. And then, you know, he gets up and, you know, he doesn't give me a shot, but I would have had to sit and shoot from my knees. And, you know, those are things that it's like, it's not shooting at a target. You're not just standing in the backyard when you're out there, you know, on an elk in the, in the mountains of Northern Colorado or in the Southern plains of Arizona. It's just, you know, it's situational, you know, it can change in a heartbeat and you got to prepare for all those kinds of things. So, uh, Kyle, man, with DCA. So what did, uh, what did Kyle do for you, man? Well, so Kyle, um, so funny that the, the little thin thread that connects us all here. So between Bill and iron will and Kyle with DCA and then with tap, it all kind of comes full circle. So I met, Bill with Iron Will and got broadheads from him and me and him got to talking on the phone and chit-chatting about, you know, him giving me some tips about Colorado and everything. And he said, yeah, man, I said, I've been talking to this guy who does, you know, arrows for me. And he's like a mad scientist. He's got this, you know, all these calculations and stuff that he does <laughs> and he all these numbers and he's a genius, man. You got to talk to him. So then vicariously through him, I met Kyle from DCA and uh, got to talking with him. And I was like, just blown away at this guy's knowledge. I mean, just the, the way that he attacks the approach for creating the perfect arrow for you is just is phenomenal. He, he gets down to all the nitty gritties. It's not just, a, oh, well, I shoot 70 pounds and I like Easton's. <laughs> you know, right down to the very minute details of what's going to make and i tell you what i have never put an arrow through a bow that flew as true or on the money as his arrow i mean i love black eagle i staff for black eagle and you know he put together a black eagle because he felt like it was going to be best for me but boy oh boy I, i i've put a lot of arrows through a bow in my short hunting span but i've put thousands of arrows through a bow and I've never shot one as good as I shot with that yes. arrow because he had it just tuned before it was even on my bow. Yeah. Those <laughs> things are ridiculous, man. You know, so, and they look so daggone pretty too. Oh, I know. He, he even put the little T-Rex on there for me for my short little draw lane. <laughs> <laughs> I know he did it. Did he seriously? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> You go look at the Instagram page, the Divine Life Outdoors, man. You look at my arrow wrap. It's got a little T-Rex there in the end of it. <laughs> so you know you got to tell us what that draw length is, man. Uh, 26 and a half, bro. Oh, but I that. shoot 27. My wife actually has a longer draw, has a longer draw length than me. Oh, <laughs> man. Good she on you, Kyle. 28. That's awesome. Yeah. Good yeah, on you, just, Kyle. Quality, man. Quality. That's funny. Yeah, I... I I think I'm on my second set with him. He has, yeah. And uh, yeah. you just, they fly wonderful, man. But when you open that box and you have that, basically it's uh, a ballistics chart of your arrows, right? The potential oh, that they have. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it, it's. It's a whole new level. It, it literally has brought arrows to a new echelon. It's not just a, you go into sportsman's warehouse to pick up a box of, you know, whatever you think you like best because it's what you saw on, 
you know, Red Arrow Outdoors on the Outdoor Network or whatever, and you have the guy cut them to your drawings and glue an insert in and screw a field point in and take them out to the range with the stock blazer veins on them, and, you know, you're ready to go. It is a whole new level of precision of how those fletchings go on to the precise angle of how they're going to fly right. Like, it's literally, it's like... (laughs) It's like buying custom rounds from Hornady. Yeah, it's a trip, man. It's a trip. I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I, I love, you know, the fact that he, he takes all the specs, you know, your bow specs, your, you know, your, right. your pertinence, the arrow spec, um, and then he's testing your shafts, right? Each shaft is getting a right. test, um, calculating yeah. your, your, your speed or your estimated speed. Right. I'll correct myself. Um, yeah. The kinetic energy, the momentum, and just, you know, he's giving you something and saying, okay, here's all this info. What are you going to do with it now, big boy? Um, yeah. It, it's, it's just I a mean, neat thing, like, man. He's laying it up on a silver platter for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. And it's got that nice, personal feel like you, you have a deeper connection to that arrow now Isn't that it's weird arrow. Yeah. it's it's so different it's unlike anything i've ever experienced yeah it's a weird thing and we uh, you know <laughs> i'm a gearhead right and and we get right. wrapped up in that stuff but this yeah. uh yeah it's just it, it's a trip man to get that arrow and you're just awestruck like you know look, look at my little narcissistic touch on my own arrow here <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so true yeah, though <laughs> it's it's freaking neat man and then you know to watch yeah. his post and you see all these folks you know with their with their personal touch um yeah man i mean look them. at how awesome those kong valleys look all the time man every time i turn around kong valley's got a new set of arrows coming his way man yeah i think there's uh, i think who has them i think dan has some john has yeah. some so there's yeah. you know there's a bunch man um yeah a lot of guys i know are doing them you know garrett with on point he had some wraps done um yeah fatal flight had some uh, there's some there's some freaking cool ones out there man yeah and he's then, getting ready to build my wife's right now like you know it's just I mean, the list is just going to continue on and yeah. on. I mean, yeah, I think he's in trouble, man. We we recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I had yeah. a ton of folks hit me up after the episode, and I was like, "Dude, you're yeah. you're going to be a busy guy." But the the problem is, is he's going to have to. <laughs> I told him you're going to have to figure out hunting season at this point. Yeah, right. He's going to put he's going to put himself in trouble, man. He ain't even going to be able to get out and hunt at all. Yeah, he needs a cutoff. <laughs> I think he. I'm suggesting Kyle a cutoff date, man. You know, get your yeah, arrows right. made by this because uh, you know that's the sacrifice sometimes, right? When we get going on this stuff, and that I we know, don't you realize, get down that rabbit hole. yeah, we don't realize what it's. You know, you want to be a part of something, and then you're going, "Oh crap, what did I start here?" Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> him, uh, him. You know, like I said, man, between you know him and Sam, I, I got nothing but good to say about you know everything they're putting out, and uh, oh yeah. yeah, appreciate the heck out of my arrows and my and my tap stuff here, man. So yeah, uh, I appreciate all my gear. So Divine Life Outdoors, man, that looks, you know, I've been kind of exploring that a little bit. That looks like uh, you and your wife's page, man. Why don't you give us a little. Yeah. So I guess a little background on that, I guess. So I got involved uh, pretty heavily about a year ago with, uh, with Tacticam. And I started doing a bunch of events for them. Banquets, International Sportsman's Expo. Uh, stuff with the National Wild Turkey Federation. And I wanted a platform for my wife and I to uh, reach out, give back, um, answer questions. Because like, 
you know, touching back on, you know, when we first moved here to Colorado, I just, I, I got nothing but doors closing on me to an extent with people not wanting to talk about, um, you know, hunting in Colorado. And I just felt like that's not why I got into this industry and why I got into hunting because the people that are in this industry that are open, that are just these amazing people that are just a wealth of knowledge and sharing information and helping each other out. It's just, it's just giving do good group of people that are constantly giving back and going above and beyond. And, um, so I guess my, my mission is to, um, as I, you know, continue to film more and, uh, get out and hunt, um, I'm going to, my wife and I are getting ready to start a, a new chapter for the National Wild Turkey Federation here in Loveland, Colorado. Um, and, you know, we're going to set up, um, I think, um, to do like a charity um, shoot every year. We have a beautiful outdoor archery range here locally. Um, then I'm going to try and funnel some uh, kind of keep up funds to out of the, the chapter to do some donation work to them uh, through the National Wild Turkey Federation. And then, uh, do some youth shoots and, uh, some talks, um, you know, maybe like the local Elks club or something and get out and, uh, have a platform for people who are new hunters or are interested in getting into hunting, but, um, don't feel like they have people to kind of talk to, to help them kind of guide them, uh, give them the avenues of how to start. Um, you know, I was very fortunate when I got my start that I had people very willing to teach me, but there's a lot of guys, like I noticed on the I hunt Colorado Facebook page that just get shut down. They're like, Hey man, I'm a first year hunter. And, um, you know, I put in for the draw this year and I drew a tag and unit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you got guys who are like, well, she came to the wrong place, but barking up the wrong tree. Ain't nobody going to give you any information on that. And it's like, man, come on, dude. It's not like you got to give them a honey hole or anything like that, but say, you know, Hey man, there's good public access and you know, this vicinity. And like, if you put in the work and you get out there and go scout, like you'll have some good success. And if you need any pointers, you need a hunting partner, you're a first year guide, you have somebody going with you hunting the buddy system, you know, like those are the kind of things that I feel like, you know, are being lost in some of the older generations and stuff. And as a, a youth hunter, um, you know, still in my, my late twenties, I want to, you know, make sure that I'm giving back to that and, um, you know, maybe having some, uh, starter setups for compounds that, you know, we can get as donations to kind of donate to some people who want to get into it, but don't necessarily have the funds to do so. Um, and kind of, you know, start that, uh, that movement to, to give back and get people more encouraged to get them outdoors and uh, get them involved in everything. So that's, that's what the divine life outdoors is all about. That's awesome. man. so you bring up uh, the NWTF there. So check out uh, Jeff uh, Pagel. It's a flatlander in a tall world. He's Northeastern Colorado and Jeff mm-hmm. is uh, super, super involved, man. He takes, does a lot of youth mentor hunts, um, takes guys mm-hmm. out on turkey hunts, and yeah, check him out, man. He uh, he might be a huge resource for you guys getting that role in there. Um, yeah, great guy, man. Just you know, totally the same, just the same mindset, man. A g- really, right. really good dude, man. 
yeah, well, I, re- I really look forward to it. I do. Now that that's good on you guys for making those efforts. It's uh, that's what's going to keep this going, and you know, it, mm-hmm. it sounds cliche, but continue this tradition, this this you know thing we love so much, man. So yeah, to make sure that there's still other people to take over where we leave off. Heck yeah, we well yeah, if we leave it in the shape for them to do so, that's that's the Correct. biggest task, right? Correct. Um, so. How's your 2019 season looking? You got your OTC elk. Are you guys going to head down to Arizona and try and get after those coups or? Um, I was, I was going to try, um, but you know, the, the job I initially moved up here for, I ended up, uh, got laid off and moved up to work on rocket engines and, uh, kind of experienced an unfortunate layoff. Um, so not probably not this year. Um, but I'm, you know, I got my hands pretty full yes. with, you know, launch, launching, uh, you know, the divine life outdoors and, uh, stuff with Tacticam and, you know, getting, uh, some stuff moving with that. I, I got some, some little secrets, uh, that we got, I'm working on some, some pretty cool stuff with them right now, uh, that, you know, it's going to be uh, pretty neat. Uh, hopefully it comes to fruition, but you know, we'll see. I can't let can't let the cat out of the bag with that one but um but yeah and then you know we're uh we're still in kind of planning stages for for the big film for next august and um you know next year that's going to be that's going to be wild we're going to be in south africa for two weeks and then we're going to be back right into elk season and then if we draw deer tags if we don't draw deer tags up here in Colorado next year, we'll go back to Arizona uh, next year for for December or January, one or the other. So we're going to have a full plate for sure next season. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. And you got, you know, you, you got to settle that, settle that score with those coups, man. Oh, I know. I know, dude. I got to settle that. <laughs> I got to be score to settle, man. <laughs> I might have to go down there with my, my team leader, Rudy Nunez. He's down there in southern Arizona. Uh, shout out to Rudy with Tacticam. He's a he's a stud, and uh, man, he gets in on some of those coups too. And I gotta work the magic with him. He gotta stop cheating and using a rifle, though. <laughs> There's the call out. There's the call out. He might he might be smarter than us. <laughs> that, he might that, he might just be smarter than us. <laughs> that might be a case there, man. So every episode, man, I do a little a little conservation quick, man. So it's a one to two mm-hmm. minute spiel of your view mm-hmm. of conservation, um, how you think we should be or how you impact um, mm-hmm. that front, man. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the, yep. your whole your whole view on it, but just something real quick that gives us a quick shot at uh, at uh, your view of it. I think well. <laughs> One of my biggest pet peeves, man, and one of the easiest things that we can do that's something that doesn't cost us any any more dollars than it takes or anything is pick up your trash. There you go. Hell yes. <laughs> pick up your trash. I, man, I get tired, tired. I don't care. You're sitting around with your buddies, drinking beer at night. I am tired of rolling by empty campsites with beer cans all burnt up in the fire and stuff just left there hanging out beer cans over by the edge of the, the trees where they're going to take a leak after they were done drinking a beer. I am sick of seeing that. We are supposed to be ambassadors for the land. We are supposed to set the example, pick up your dang trash. Oh yeah. There you, <laughs> hey, you know what? That was the, that might've been one of the best conservation quicks I've had on here, man. 
That's, uh, <laughs> that is is very very uh, very very true. That's uh, you know you throw it in the fire, right? Yeah. You know the shit's not going to melt. It's not going to burn away. Right. It's going to sit there. What because it's, it's discolored not some magical <laughs> catch all or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it is frustrating, man. And I, I don't know. I, I want to say it's better. You see a lot more guys on social and women, you know, picking stuff up, packing stuff out from someone else. Yeah. But to mm-hmm. a point, you know, it seems like I've been seeing more trash left yeah. than in recent years. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's just it's absurd because I mean, you get these guys that you know go out and it's just a big old party. And like, dude, that's fine. No judgment passed or whatever. I mean, if that's how that's how you like to do your hunting trips or whatever, and you like to wake up all hungover to go on a ruck or whatever, that's your business. That ain't my business. But dude, at the end of your hunt, if I stroll through past your campsite and I see you with nothing but trash just lingering everywhere and napkins and you know, just junk everywhere, that makes me mad. Cause like I said, you're supposed to be an, imba- we're supposed to go out there. We are supposed to like, everybody always talks about how hunters, we give back the most and we do this. But if we go out there and we just make nothing but a mess, we're just making all ourselves look like fools. Right. You voided what you like. give back through that tag and license purchase. Yeah. I mean, it's shit away. Just, it completely negates everything and it just makes people look bad. So it's like the least you can do is just not be a slob <laughs> and just <laughs> pick it up put it in a trash can or a trash bag, throw it in the bed of your truck and throw it out when you get home real easy. So anything, uh, anything in closing, man, before we wrap this up, any messages you want to get out there? Um, I mean, you know, uh, for those of you, like I said, you know, are interested in anybody who hears this podcast that, um, hasn't gotten into hunting yet, but you know, hasn't found the type of person that they feel comfortable reaching out to reach out to us, reach out to me, reach out to guy, uh, with Western contour outdoors, uh, hit me up on Instagram at the divine life outdoors. Um, you know, more, anybody's more than welcome to, to reach out, get in touch with any questions or anything at all. Uh, like I said, that's, that's kind of my mission. That's what I'm here for. So. Well, good deal, man. I, I greatly appreciate the time, man. It was good catching up with you, man. And, you know, just yeah. kind of hearing the story and talking about uh, everything we talked about, honestly. I yeah, man. And I, I look forward to, to doing it again in, uh, in the fall here after uh, we get some of these hunting trips under our belt this year. Yeah, it sounds good, brother. All right, man. You well, have a good night. You too, man. Thank you. Later. You can catch up with TJ on Instagram at The Divine Life Outdoors. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsman, the founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors. We have many people across the nation that refuse to give up, and our brand is going to represent them, and now you can too. You can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsman.com, or you can find us on Instagram at Disabled Outdoorsman USA. 
We want you to be a part of the cause with us, and let's make a difference one day at a time.